This is Company. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities and all over the world. In the main street of Hay, in the Riverina area of New South Wales, there's an old two-storey bank. From the outside, it is grand and majestic like so many banks in rural Australia are. They do certainly stand out in any main street. But if you were to step inside this particular bank in Hay, you would be forgiven for thinking that it was something lifted straight from the pages of a modern English interiors magazine. It's recently had a facelift to include rooms with gorgeously richly coloured walls, marble mantelpieces, golden gilded mirrors, fine wallpapers and fabrics that have been sourced from all over the world. It is a total feast for the eyes and it is in the main street of Hay. And the very talented woman behind it is Sheila Smith, who is my guest today. Sheila is an interior designer, and to me, she is such a good example of the exceptional talent that exists in rural Australia. And I just love it so much these days that people with these world-class skills are able to exist and function and flourish no matter where they are located. Sheila's interiors business is Miss Smith Interiors, and her latest project is the bank B&B in Hay. This is her story. Um, well, hello, my name is Sheila Smith. I have an interior design business and I live in Hay, which is in the Riverina, on the edge of the, the fringe of the outback, the flattest part of the Southern Hemisphere, I think it is. <laughs> uh, I love that. So. Sheila, did you grow up in Hay? I actually did grow up in Hay, yes. My um, father had a sort of small farm 50 or 60 k's from town and um, we grew up out there at Maud. Yeah, we sort of doubled around with sheep and he grew a few crops. So it was a wonderful way to be brought up. Mum used to, I think, shut the door, leave us outside and say, come home when you're hungry. <laughs> so we had all sorts of adventures out there. And, and then they bought, um, my, they bought the bank in Hay in about 1990. My grandparents, well, my grandmother and her sister were living here. They were getting a bit old to go up and down the stairs. So, yeah, they bought it. And then we sort of, when we sort of started going to school, we would sort of stay here during the week and then go out to the farm on the weekends, which was wonderful. What did your mum do? Mum ran, organised all of us. Yeah. How, many were, how many are you? There's three. I've got two brothers, two yeah. older brothers, and they're me. And, um, yeah, mum, I think, just helped. She helped dad run the farm and do the books and all of that. And then later when we grew up and went to school, she actually had a catering company. I asked that because I wonder where your influence to become an interior designer came from. You obviously so good at it she's she's very creative very creative with food very creative in the garden she's a wonderful gardener but she would leave the interiors she had an interior decorator that would come up from Melbourne and do everything so what what was your home like on the on the farm and the garden I remember um (laughs) the garden was actually gorgeous it had so many sort of fruit trees and we were lucky we had an above ground pool which was (sighs) 
very, very exciting. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a beautiful, it just had lawn, it had grapevines. I remember mum getting very upset, she went away and dad left a gate open and the next day all the sheep were in the garden and had eaten all their roses and oh. <laughs> just being devastated. Devastating. It's got to happen, doesn't it? But it happens to everyone. It's, on never, farm, it's it? never good. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So she, you, um, you obviously grew up in a, surrounded by Lots of beautiful things. Into the bank. Well, I think when we came, um, it was quite a um, simple house out there. I think they were just sort of starting out as a young couple. And then when we moved in here, they inherited a lot of the furniture with the bank because obviously <laughs> the furniture is so large. The table I'm at now is about three and a half metres long. So oh, wow. it's very hard if them, you move to be able to take the dining table with you. So, um, yeah, it was sort of all about working with what she had and then, um, you know, slowly over time, her and her decorator would do, do each of the rooms up and, yeah, it was, I really enjoyed watching that process and living in the beautiful interior. Before the bank came into your family, who owned it? So it was built in 1891, built for the London Chartered Bank and then it, it was a bank for a long time but it sort of changed changed hands of the banks or changed companies, then became the Scottish Bank and the Scottish and London Chartered Bank of Australia or something. And then it was bought by Goldsboro and Mort in 42. Then they actually started running like a rural rural businesses out of it. And then it was bought by, I think my father's, it was like a family business that his, um, his mother had. And then he, he, he had a stock agency with his brother that he used to run out of here and then it became yeah just a private a private home I'm assuming it's on the main street of Hay is it does it um is it the the most beautiful building in the main street of Hay or what part does it play in the makeup of it in the main main street well it is um we do say we live in the CBD the central business district of Hay (laughs) (laughs) um and as you come in there's, um, I think in the history of Hay, there was just so many beautiful old buildings, but, you know, there was an enormous, there's a motel opposite us now, and that used to be an enormous Tattersall's Hotel. There was lots of hotels and lots of beautiful businesses, but they've sort of unfortunately all fallen down and there's sort of newer buildings there now. So there, there isn't um, a great deal of the original buildings, but this one is standing proud. And it's probably, yeah, one of the first ones that you see when you come into the town. So that's sort of quite nice. And then as you keep going down the main street, which isn't very long, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there are still quite a few magnificent buildings, but um, maybe, maybe I'm biased, but I think it's probably one of the most spectacular buildings in the town, yes. Yeah, I love it. There's, um, yeah, something to be said for main streets in small rural communities and the architecture there's some beautiful buildings and if they've managed to stand the test of time then they're worth holding on to i love it what's the population of hay these days oh two two and a half thousand yeah yeah Yeah. and so did your um since has your family owned it since that time or yeah yeah. okay and then my mother and father bought it off his um, mother, and um, then they were actually looking to downsize a couple of years ago. So they listed it on the market, and um, 
which was, I found it very sad, but um, I thought, well, they need to move on and downsize. It's a big, it's a big job. There's a lot of stairs and a lot of rooms. So as you're getting older, you know, it can get a bit harder. Um, But not, there was a lot of interest, but no one sort of bought it. And then my husband and I, his business, we're living in Albury at the time, and his business was based in Griffith. And then they actually opened up a new office over in Swan Hill. So Hayes actually in the middle. And we'd been looking for a little block out of town for about two years because we sort of knew that this move might be happening, uh, would be happening, and um, we couldn't find anything. So he actually said, I think we should buy the bank off your parents and move there. And I jumped at the idea because I was so excited because I obviously loved the building, but I didn't want him to feel trapped in my family home. <laughs> I see. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah, it's a real homecoming. It is. It is. And it's actually, I never thought that I would end up back here, but I'm so excited um, because of the building. But I also, it's such a nice region, such a nice area. And so many of my childhood friends have sort of moved back and married really wonderful people. So it's a real sort of great community. I love that. And so when you bought it, did you have any plans to renovate or what what was your take on it? Well, I think probably always knew what I would like to do to it. Um, And then when we did buy it, I really, it was very important to us to make it our, our home, not the house that I grew up in. So we we started off re-carpeting and, you know, making sort of quite a few changes, painting, wallpapering a few rooms. So it actually felt the same, but a different, you know, a more modern take um, on what it had been and to make it feel like our house, not my parents' house sort of thing. It's such a tricky thing to do, isn't it? Do you agree? Like from an emotional point of view, you sort of, yeah, it's tricky. I found it quite easy, but I think. <laughs> Good. I think that um, it was probably a bit of a shock for, you know, mum. She was so excited for us to be doing it, but just to see things change quickly. But, yeah, I think she's used to it now and loves it now and loves her new house. So, yeah. When you took on the redesigning of things and putting the wallpaper up, and had you been thinking about this possibility all of your career and all of your life? Probably not for this, probably not for this building because I, like at the time when they were selling, my my father was quite ill and so they were sort of, they were just a bit over it and wanted to move to something that was a bit smaller and just easier, you know, for them. And so I thought that it would be sold and in someone else's hands. Mm. So no, but when, when I realised it was going to be ours that I um, just sort of went straight into overdrive and thought right okay what can we do what can we do to make this fun and I think that um, after years of working in like textile houses and things like that I've, I've seen so many gorgeous things and part of what I do is you know try and sort of draw out um, with each client you know what they're really wanting and their personality to put it into a room so it was quite fun to be able to use these beautiful sort of fabrics and wallpapers and you know wild colors and actually have it for us in our own home. How did you get into interior design in the first place? Well when I first finished school um, I actually did a course called visual merchandising um, 
which was quite new in Melbourne. It was a new course. And I think they took about 100 applicants or something. It was all on folio and interview based. It was, um, it was a really interesting process. And it was, a, it was actually a really interesting course because you probably don't even realise, but say, for instance, when, when you go into a shop, you'll look in the window and you'll think, oh, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, there'll be this gorgeous window display that might speak to you, might speak to, you know, somebody else, all these different demographics to be able to draw them into the store. And then when you get into the store, um, say if it's a supermarket, for instance, people go in a couple of times a week for milk and bread and the milk will be right in the back corner. So you'll have to walk all the way through the store and then you might walk past something, something you find your favourite products that's on special and you think, oh gosh, it's 50% off, I'll buy that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then when you come back to the counter, um, you know, there might be a few more sort of chocolate bars or magazines or something that you might think, Great deal I'll pick them up too so it's sort of this science behind you're you're walking around a, a shop in a certain way that they've actually designed for mm. you that you have no idea mm. so mm. I found that very interesting um, and I went and did that for a couple of years but thought it's actually not exactly what I want to do but I didn't know what that was <laughs> but then I I thought it might have been graphic design so I started dabbling in um graphic design, I actually worked at an international school, which was really interesting, And but it was an international school for graphic design. So I used to be the student coordinator and put together timetables, which was so challenging. <laughs> Whoever does that job for schools and unis, that is amazing. Um, but it was really interesting because I learned about international visa requirements and there was all these amazing people from all around the world, all these wonderful different nationalities. And then when I'd done all my work, they used to let me sit in the back of the classroom and listen in to the, to the classes, which was really fun. But I thought, no, it's not exactly what I want to do either. <laughs> then, how did I? Yeah, well, then I actually got into a, um, I think I, yeah, I wanted to get out of Melbourne, wanted to leave. Um, and that's when I went over to WA, I think. Where we um, first met. <laughs> where we first met. Scott. And I was thinking... I can't remember at all what you're doing over there. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. I think I'd um, I'd lost someone quite close to me in Melbourne and so I just wanted to, to get away and I remember speaking to my brother and saying, oh, I just want to escape and do something, you know, fun and said, I want to go travelling, but I didn't really, I don't think I had enough money in the bank to travel the way I was you know, liking, liking to travel, backpacking yeah. it. So he said, you should go over and come over and work in the mines. He was driving a dump truck, I think, at the time. And I said, gosh, what would I do in the mines? And he said, oh, you know, you could cook or you could clean. You know, he said, it's a, it's a great paying job. Um, but he said, I wouldn't recommend it to a lot of girls out there. But I think, he said, I think you can hack it. Um, <laughs> but growing up on a farm in quite a sort of remote area with um, two older brothers constantly making fun at me maybe. <laughs> he thought that it, it took maybe a person, a woman with a thicker skin. So I um, found a job um, cooking in the mines. Yeah, that's when I met you obviously. And um, But that's when I also thought I, I loved it and it was so interesting, but then I thought I'd, I just need something else. And then I started studying interior design by correspondence over there because I'd already had the couple of years at RMIT so there was a few sort of credits and yeah it was easier for me to study online which was good. 
It was such a unique time, I think, in Western Australia and there was this huge, um, I don't know, exodus almost of um, expats from the eastern states coming over to make some money in the mines and yet females doing it too. And so what was, where were you working and what, what was it like being the cook? Being the cook? Well, it's great. I, my first job was, I think I moved over and they, they'd said, go and do this sort of course so that, you know, it was like a, it's like a safety course or yeah. something um, so that, you know, you're showing them that you're serious about it because they get a lot of applicants. And so I went and did this course and then landed a job. Um, it was in the goldfields. It was actually, it was at an underground mine and it was... Um, it was Jabiru metals, so I think it was zinc and copper. Anyway, it was so it was really interesting, and um, I go on my work two two weeks on and one week off. Yeah, I think I was one of two girls on our whole crew, and there was about thirty of us on the crew. It was fascinating. I've always been fascinated by what other people do, and you know the different industries and their careers, and just watching yeah how a mine ran and everyone's job underneath because. Yeah, they'd have to go down, they'd drive these enormous machines and, um, you know, they'd still um, do explosives down in the mine. They'd drill in and they'd put the, there was an explosives team and then there was sort of, you know, geologists and there was so many interesting people and so many people from so many different walks of life. So I really, really enjoyed it. So did you get to cook for them and then get to know them as you were eating? As you were eating. Well, <laughs> yeah. my shift was sort of usually finished. So I was the breakfast cook, uh-huh. relief breakfast cook. So I'd cook for a week and then I'd actually clean for a week. Oh, so I'd go down God. and clean the offices and the mines work sort of 24 hours a day. So you'd get to have conversations with them while you were, you know, mopping the floor or something. And <laughs> um, they also, I was very lucky because I think I made friends with the mine manager and um I'd call him up if I'd finish all my work, you know, at two in the morning or three in the morning, I'd call him up and say, you know, from the kitchen down to the mine and I'd say, oh, I've um, just baked some, you know, fresh batch of um, raspberry and white chocolate muffins and he'd he'd say, well, I'll be down in 20 minutes and he'd actually come and pick me up and take me for a bit of a mine tour so I'd appear in the dump truck <laughs> with all my muffins giving it to That's the, the guys <laughs> I just thought what is going on but I was just so interested so I think I'd asked and asked please 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 and yeah being being able to go underground and see it all was just fascinating you'll go down in history in that mine <laughs> <laughs> I think they thought gosh who is this girl <laughs> yeah but, but then, I'll take the muffins <laughs> take the muffins scones yep please take it all <laughs> Ah, I love that. So, but it is a, um, I don't know, did you, did you come to a natural end with, with that role? It's quite taxing. It was taxing. Well, I, I think I did it because I then, well, that one was sort of quite short lived because the GFC hit. So I was the last in, so I was the first out, you you know, so I then, Mm. I think I then lay on the beach for a month or so and um, maybe started, started my course. I think that's what I did. And then um, things picked back up again, and then I ended up getting another job with Rio Tinto in the in the Pilbara, which was really exciting to see another sort of part of the state. And that they were exploration camps, so that's where they would go and um, test the soil for future mines. So there'd be a mine there that they were working now. They were open pit mines, 
and um, for iron ore, and then they test sort of, you know, somewhere else, it's actually on a cattle station. Yeah, out of Tom Price, there was, there was two mountains, two big mountains, one called Mount Bruce, and then the other one, which my camp was quite near, called Mount Sheila. So you can imagine <laughs> the, the butt of everyone's jokes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was really interesting. And then I'd sort of be able to keep, keep that job. And then in my weeks off, I'd sort of fly to Melbourne and do work experience with sort of fabulous designers in Melbourne or fabric houses. Or, and then I'd also, you know, be able to pull back and go overseas for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and then sort of come back and pick back up so that sort of kept me going for for a while longer but then um yeah it sort of came to a point where I was craving I think I'd finished my course and I was craving sort of something a bit different and um and home no I actually actually went to the Caribbean my (laughs) after Perth yeah my aunt used to um she, well, that's how I got into the cooking because mum had a catering company and my aunt, she was a chef. She had wine bars and restaurants and I used to go and wash dishes for her in school holidays and things. And anyway, she was a cook on a sail yacht years and years ago. And the captain that she used to work with was still one of her good friends and was captaining a super yacht in um, Grenada in the Caribbean. And he must have called her up and said, oh, I just cannot find a good cook, proving very hard. And she said, oh, had a cousin but chat with my niece I might have the girl for you so I think I went in my week off and did a um, safety at sea course in Perth and then a week later I jumped on a plane and flew to the Caribbean. <laughs> How awesome so <laughs> you're, the, what you've done is just so enlightening it's and um, un, unpredictable almost like who who would have thought but in your mind, you were still sort of... I still, I loved the interiors, but I also love, you know, a sense of adventure. I think mm. I think what kicked off my passion for interiors was I, when I finished school, I went and did a gap year. I went and did a gap year in England and I was a nanny and they had the most beautiful house and mm. their friends had the most beautiful houses and then mm. they'd have the country estate and, and the beach house and, you know, I'd sort of go around and I'd just be in, in awe of these sort of gorgeous layers that you know we sort of don't do that layer in here in Australia but the way the English do it was sort of quite spectacular and I think that always sort of stuck in my mind and that's yeah ultimately probably led me to where I am today but also seeing the you know interiors over in the the Caribbean on these super yachts and what were they like very sophisticated we were in a Perini Navy which was a a big sail yacht Um, a lot of the super yachts big motor yachts but ours was actually a sail yacht. On the first day when, when I arrived, it was actually Australia Day and there was a big party happening at the marina. So I got to our boat and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life, um, you know, really trying to act, act normal, <laughs> not be right too at home. warm. And um, anyway, we went into, into the main island. I was moored on a private island where my yacht was. Went to the, um, the marina where this big party was. And honestly, I had to pick my jaw up off the ground mm. because I thought, I, I thought they were cruise ships. They were so big. And um, yeah, it was just extraordinary, extraordinary. This podcast is all about celebrating better connections for women in the bush. 
In fact, as members of the Country Women's Association of New South Wales, women all over have been bettering the services, facilities and communities of this state since 1922. That's right. 2022 marks 100 years of the CWA of New South Wales. For a century, CWA women have been initiators, fighters and lobbyists. A hundred years ago, they grouped together to start facilities like baby healthcare centres in their local towns. As the association grew, it took their voice to Parliament, both state and federal, to lobby for better maternity services, more doctors for the bush and better schools. All the while bringing the ideas of its members to life, turning little localities into vibrant communities, reducing isolation and lifting the lives of those who lived there. You can help celebrate 100 years of the CWA of New South Wales by having a look at what they're doing on social media, buying some special 100-year merchandise from their website or even better, becoming a member. CWAofNewSouthWales.org.au has all the information you need. Yeah, it was just extraordinary, extraordinary experience. So they celebrated Australia Day over there? For the crew. The crews did. So there'd be enormous crews of each, um, for each boat and the owners of the yacht donated. I remember going there and just being like, gosh, thinking about our Australia Day parties in Perth, you know, that we <laughs> a barbie in the park and a couple of um, couple of beers. Back. <laughs> we, we got there and there were um, Imperials, you know, there's a Magnum and there's a normal bottle of champagne, then there's a Magnum, then there's an Imperial, which it's about four or five bottles of champagne put into one that, that they would donate, they donated to the cruise and it was sort of, you know, Dom Perignon from, Oh, my gosh. 1972 or something, and they all had big swords out and were, you know, taking the corks out. And I was just thinking, oh, gosh, (laughs) not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) What did you learn about, like, living in luxury during during that time and how it fitted with you? It It was extraordinary. Like, they had a original Gregal painting in the dining room where I was um, on, on this yacht. Oh, it, just, it just blew my mind. Mm. All the crockery was all Hermes. Um, every, everything was just top of the range. And it was amazing. It was amazing to see and it was amazing to live in. Then it was amazing to come home. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Because it was, um, I don't know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't forever. Um, yeah. It was beautiful. Um, I do enjoy the finer things in life. Yeah, I can't think of what I'm trying to say, Sky. <laughs> I think it's, um, oh, no, I'm just interested in your perception because not many people get to see that level of luxury. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I just can't imagine it. I cannot imagine it. And um, whether it's just an unreal feeling all the time or whether you know, you can relax and be comfortable and it doesn't really matter. And yeah. I never, I never probably fully relaxed in the, uh, in the, cause there was definitely a, a, a crew, um, you know, we had our crew quarters and then there was the, the guest quarters. So mm. I never fully relaxed in the, in the guest quarters, although we did a, we actually did a crossing where we crossed from the Caribbean over to the Mediterranean for the, for the summer 
which was a completely wild experience. And um, I got so seasick, I think, because I wasn't a natural seaman like the rest of the crew oh. were. My um, cabin was right in the in the bow, so I would feel absolutely <laughs> everything. And I was just constantly so sick. So actually the captain rolled his eyes and said, okay, put me right down the back in one of the guest quarters. So nice. <laughs> I was, you know, reclining and happy yeah, days. Actually, yeah, I actually became quite accustomed by the crossing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you cook? Well, I was, it was the crew cook. So it was around, I had to cook for him twice. I think the owner of the boat and I was very nervous because <laughs> I'd seen him get very upset at his chefs before. Oh. It wasn't sort of correct. So I. What did uh, you cook then? Can you actually, remember? I can't remember what I cooked for him, but what did I cook for the crew? I just cooked the normal things fish. Where my, um, the galley was, there was a little sort of porthole windows and the local fishermen in the Caribbean would come and they'd knock on the window and there'd just be a squid mm. sort of held up and I'd run up and, yeah, so I cooked a lot of seafood. I'd prepare all the fish and lots of different salads. And the captain, he was also a bit of a foodie, so he let me used to, used to let me go off and do cooking courses on the island, you know. If he felt like Thai food, he'd send me off to do a little Thai cooking oh, course. Awesome. So, yeah, loved it. So when did you, what happened after that? <laughs> well, I think I, after the crossing, I think there's a, I think cabin fever is a real thing. And um, it was, it was such a wonderful experience, but it was a, um, yeah, literally at sea with only these sort of 12 people and yeah. for a couple of weeks and there's nothing else out there. Um, I think after that, oh no, I did a couple more months because um, we lived in, I lived in Italy and in, on the, um, while we were getting some repairs done on the boat and then we moved to Villefranche-sur-Mer which was on the yeah so from the Italian Riviera to the French Riviera which was quite gorgeous but then I thought um you know I can't can't do this forever I need to go home and get a serious job and think about my career and um I think I was missing home and then so I did I had a friend who randomly appeared in Europe so we went and did a couple of months travel and then I jumped on a plane and came home and that's when I took the dive into interior design, into the fabric world, really, yeah. How did that evolve? Where were you and did you set up a shop or did you just start a consultancy? I came home and I was thinking about what I wanted to do. That's right, I worked for a couple of designers doing work experience in Melbourne and I remember one of them, who was my favourite, he said, um, you just need to work out who you want to work for and he said and the best thing to do is go and work in a fabric house and then you'll you'll meet all the designers and you'll get to see sort of the you know a feel of what everyone does and everyone's sort of style and the interiors that they do and then you might be able to angle to go and work for a designer so I had an interview and I ended up getting this job and they said right you can start next year and then I had a bad water skiing accident on boxing day and um yeah, got caught in the rope water skiing and nearly oh. lost my arm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was not funny at the time, but I, um, I think I was out of action for about six months. But luckily that company were still very kind and they actually they took me on and I would just do things with my one hand because one mm. hand didn't work for I chopped out a big muscle and I had to teach it how to work again, which was actually quite a challenging but rewarding process. Huge rehab. Um, 
a huge rehab. So I think I started a little bit later, a couple of months later than I was supposed to um, because I had so many surgeries and doctor's appointments and things like that. Mm. Um, but luckily they kept the job for me and I then sort of did a dive into the fabric world and um, I, I got stuck there for about five years. I just absolutely loved it, the, the, the history of the design mm. sort of fabric. And Tell me about it. What was it like? What did you do each day? The archiving. The, um, gosh, what did I do? Well, basically designers would come in the best way I think about it is I was essentially a librarian for all these fabric houses. So around the world, there's all these different amazing sort of very famous fabric houses, usually based in America or Europe or England. And that's because that's where all the mills are. And that's where they've got the history of all these designs. And they will, you know, be very prominent where they are. And then if you want to buy them in Australia, you have to go through one supplier. You can't just buy them sort of directly from England. So you have to buy them through a supplier who has the rights to those brands in Australia. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so um, I was working for yeah this fabric house and you would look after all these different brands. So basically there was something in there for something in there for everyone, but you essentially become a bit of a librarian because designers members of the public would sort of come in and say, oh, I'm looking for this for my you know, dining chair or whatever it might be. And this is the sort of thing that I'm after. What have you got? And so there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fabrics in there. And then you'd have to sort of be able to show them sort of hopefully something in the vein that they were looking for. Um, so yeah, I was essentially, I used to think of it as a, as a librarian. But then you used to get to put together these schemes with these sort of amazing designers um, and see sort of what it was that they were working on, you know, and they'd say, oh, I'm thinking something like this, what have you got? And so you put them all together and see it laid out and that that really resonated with me. Something I still find it the most exciting part of what I do. boggles my mind like there's so many choices with fabric how would you even know where to start do you feel like not boggled by it like you've got your head all around it oh I just it just excites me it just excites me but sometimes with the clients if you if they would go into a um, fabric house because there's so many they would literally just sort of leave with big white eyes thinking oh I don't yeah. think I want to do that anymore it's just a bit too overwhelming but I guess the, the the beauty is if you go to a designer and their job is to actually you know get to know you get to know the way you live your house what will sort of work best for your whether it be your budget or you know the, the sort of feel that you're after and then they actually bring that to you so they might just bring one one fabric and say this is it or they might yeah. bring you sort of to sort of choose from um but that sort of you know that you're trusting a designer to take that um sort of stress away from you and you know you're putting your trust in them to be able to sort of help your dream um come to life even if you don't actually know what it quite is yeah that that they'll nut it out for you so when did you make the transition from and when you're working in the fabric house were you in hay no 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 that was in that was in Melbourne yeah Yeah. so they're all based in the city so that was in Melbourne and then I worked there for about a year and then I went off and worked at another fabric house probably for about five years I think while I was there I kept thinking what 
I should do something. I should progress and do something else. But I just, I loved it. And um, then I think I met my husband, my now husband, and he was living in Griffith, um, which is about five and a half hours from Melbourne. So we sort of did a bit of a long distance relationship for a couple of years. And um, then we decided that I would make the move. It was, it was a great time for me because I was, you know, really thinking about what it is that I would do next. And so I yeah, left the city and moved to Griffith. And then about six weeks later, he got a new job offer in Sydney. So oh <laughs> I had been, you know, mentally ready to come back to the country, to, to leave the city. And then he said, we're moving to Sydney. What do you think? And I said, yeah, let's give it a go. I've never lived in <laughs> Sydney. So <laughs> we moved to Sydney. Which I was, didn't know that. Yeah, which was fabulous. We were there for about, about two years. That's when I thought, no, I need to get go out by my on, on my own, start my own business. So I think I started it up, and I had had a little client with a um, gorgeous little sort of bolt hole in Sydney, a little apartment that they wanted a bit of help with. And then my old manager from Melbourne called me, and she was working for a company in a different company in Melbourne, and um, they had a Sydney office, and there, there was a it was sort of a artisan furniture from all around the world and they'd hand make their own furniture as well and it was lighting and it was rugs and mm. anyway she just said you would be really good for this job I think you should call them I think I've given them your number actually so they're going to call you if you don't call them it was sort of an opportunity that I couldn't turn back um, so I kept my one client and they knew about that and they you know finished that little project but then there was just so many different things that I could learn um, and so many beautiful products that they had. And then I got to meet all of the Sydney designers as well, which was such a different industry from the Melbourne. Yeah, so yeah. it was um, it was fascinating. Yeah. Far out. Okay. <laughs> and then so this your that was your first iteration, was it, of Miss Smith, your first client? That was. That yeah. was my first client of Miss Smith. In your mind, were you always thinking, I'll I'll go back to that, but I, I'll just do this um, in the interim. That is just paused over there pause. and yep. I'll, just, pause. I'll just be a little bit more of a sponge because I think with interior design, it's just there's so many different facets to it that, you know, I would probably say my expertise is in fabric and wallpapers. So you can't be an expert on sort of handmade furniture or that's, you can't be an expert on everything. So it was just wonderful to get all of that experience by working for them and then I think after the two years when we decided we'd had enough um, of living in the city and wanted to go somewhere regionally that's when I thought right now I actually felt more more confident taking sort of all those skills back um, Mm. to be able to to help clients from there which was wonderful my personal style because my personal style is quite different to what I do in for my clients I think professionally well both well, both, yeah. Well, I think that my style is, <laughs> I remember um, this This is always sort of, I'm probably digressing, but this has always sort of resonated with, with me when I was in the fabric houses in Melbourne and this beautiful old designer, he worked at David Jones, he was the designer there for years and he came in and he, he was just like beautifully dressed, small gentleman and he would always wear a three-piece suit and anyway, he was just so well-mannered. And he was very, um, very, all his interiors were very, um, they were sophisticated, but they were very um, conservative. That's what I'm looking for. And um, anyway, he 
we're sort of, you know, we're putting together these, this scheme for this beautiful house. And um, all of a sudden he said, now I think I might need a silk velvet, maybe a zebra or something. And I said, oh, Max, this is a little bit wild um, for you, you know. And he said, my dear, every interior should have a little bit of wild in it. <laughs> I've always, that's always resonated, resonated with me. And I think that that's true. Like it should show a little bit of your quirkiness and your personality. So mine probably shows quite a lot of quirkiness and um, personality, but this is my dining room. I think you should, I think it should be a bold place because that's where you're, you know, entertaining and it's all about theatre and drama. And if you're having people for dinner, you know, it should be something wonderful. Probably always do things that are, for myself, that are probably a bit more daring, but some clients sort of want things a little bit more sort of safe, um, which is completely fine. Um, so, yeah, when I'm working for clients, it's all about working out, as I was saying before, their personality, exactly what their home is, you know, and being it, Fitting the interior to, to best suit them and let, let them let their personality shine or, you know, be able to sort of manage three kids and a dog and a husband who might do a bit of cattle work and then come inside and, you know, sit on the sofa and have a drink at the end of the day without, you know, washing his, taking off his yeah. jeans or something, yeah, or washing yeah. his hands. And so it's all about sort of taking in those things. And um, Would you say that? Does your all of your interiors do have an English element about them? No, no, because yeah. I, I, I I'm doing also quite a lot of contemporary work for for clients, and I've got clients who will say, oh, "I don't want any of this old furniture. I just want everything new." Um, but then you know, like the way my interior is layered is, you know, I'm like, "Oh, this is my." godmother's um chaise that she sent me down on a truck mm. from Gravesend that I've had restored in this completely wild fabric um you know and this I picked this little um you know vase up when I was traveling in Positano or something like that but mm. it's like interiors mean different things to different people mm. so it's just I guess about getting your head around what it is that they want and mm. how it will best work for them but yes, in mine, definitely a bit of an English influence. <laughs> yeah, love it. What um, what magazines do you read to to get your kind of contemporary inspiration, or is it from different sources these days? I love Town and Country English English magazine. I love House and Garden UK, Homes and Gardens English. But I also like I adore Country Style. I also adore ha- Habitus magazine, which is like a very architectural magazine, and I get. A subscription to Architectural Digest in the US. So um, I think I can appreciate beauty in every interior, um, you know, whether it be completely layered English, fabulous interior or a really minimal sort of sophisticated interior from America, you know. If you weren't doing interior design now, what do you reckon you'd be doing? What would you love to be doing? Sipping champagne on the back of a super yacht. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Um, I still, I don't know, I still, still love getting my hands dirty. Like every weekend I'm out in my little garden, gardens and newfound love for me. Sipping mm. on the lawn. Ah, oh, um, same. Yeah. So, but I don't know, maybe... If I was doing something completely different, being back in the country, mm. I love being, you know, being out on the farm. So maybe something like that. I don't feel like I've asked you enough about um, the the B and B that you've developed. Yes. So 
what is it um, and how does it run? The BNB, so we, we live in an old London chartered bank and um, the bed and breakfast is, there was, hay was just sort of, I felt, crying out for, um, there was just sort of all middle to lower end accommodation in, in the town and so it was sort of crying out for sort of something a bit more higher end and so we redid the, the furnishings upstairs in the BMB, and um, so guests have got to go up quite a lot of stairs to get up up to the top. But basically, you rent out the the whole top level, and it has a drawing room and a king bedroom, and then another bedroom, so it can be rented out for two people or four people, and a large bathroom and an enormous balcony that spans the entire width of the the building, which is lovely and looks over the beautiful main street of Hay. Um, and yeah, they have their own sort of private entrance. It's closed off from the rest of the house. So it's a house within a house for guests. <laughs> and how's it going? Yeah, it's going really well. I think, um, I think we had a great, a great response. Destination New South Wales were doing a lovely push on regional travel with all the, um, the COVID you know, influence that sort of happened lately. People can't travel overseas. So We've been fortunate that we've, you know, been in a few sort of lovely little publications and magazines. And so we, we are getting sort of, you know, lovely travellers from Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide sort of coming through and stopping for sort of two or three days at a time to, um, you know, stay, enjoy their stay in Hay. Um, but I think that, yeah, the lockdowns have, um, I think it would be going, it, it should be very, very busy, but with the lockdowns that we've had, mm. um, it's sort of just been nice and quiet because no one could actually go anywhere. <laughs> 2022. Yeah, 2022. Um, well, there's already quite a few bookings and they're filming a movie here in Hay, so the whole town can't get accommodation in Hay from February to May, actually. Yeah. Well, what's the movie? That's good. Mad Max. Oh, how good. I know, very exciting. Is, um, is the bank going to get a cameo? Well, I don't think so. They're filming, I think, out on the old the wrong road, which is a bit of an action scene. I'm thinking about cars rolling and explosions <laughs> and things. So Gosh. probably probably not in the same vein. <laughs> Are you a reader? I'm probably more of interior and gardening books and architectural books at the moment yeah. than novels. I used to be into novels, but I need to I want to get back into them. What about podcasts? Podcasts, I do love podcasts. Obviously, love company. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. Thank you. <laughs> um, but there's there's a great podcast um, that I'm just loving. They're probably interior podcasts, mm. but it's called House Guest with Carol Annette, and that's by Country and Town Magazine. And it's I find it really interesting. Ah, oh, I'll have to listen. How good? Yes, but then I do love also get a little crass at times but I sometimes listen to armchair expert if I'm in the car yeah and there's another one called it's an American design podcast called the Chaise Longue Project and it's oh. it's American as I said and they um, sort of interview designers all around America that sort of might work by themselves and you know it's how they sort of find their found success or you know might have started off as a one-man band and then sort of taken it to a company. So I find it really interesting. 
but I love singing in the car, so I probably <laughs> probably listen to quite a bit of Spotify and the radio as well. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask, as a cook, someone who knows how to cook, do you do much of it at home? Absolutely. You save yourself. Okay. What do you? I do. I do all the cooking, and I will. I think my husband quite likes it because I will cook the same, whether it's just for me or just for him and I, or if there's ten people coming. I just love. I love the process of, you know, a really good meal. And I think also living in such a remote area. Two nights ago we had bao buns and last night we had oh. a beautiful Vietnamese sort of pork belly salad. Um, yeah, we love we love our food and we love we love eating well. Oh, that is so, so nice to hear. It's <laughs> our little restaurant at the bottom of the bank. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We... I bought him a smoker for his uh, Christmas last year. So he's been smoking quite a lot throughout COVID. So yeah, a few weeks ago, we smoked a big side of salmon and oh, had a few friends around. It was lovely. Yeah. Well, Sheila, thank you so much. It's been fun. It's been, I just loved hearing about all these things that I didn't know about you and how you came into interior design. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Sky. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and have a look around the bank yourself at bank B and B on Instagram. And even better, you can plan a little exploratory trip away to Hay. Stay there and then go driving and discovering while you were there. As I mentioned, I did first meet Sheila when we were both living in Western Australia in the days before marriage and children. And since recording this episode, Sheila has welcomed a divine baby boy into the world, Oscar. He arrived months early and so they have had a huge couple of months with him. But he's happy and healthy and they are at home. So congratulations to all of you, Team Smith. Thank you to the CWA of New South Wales for sponsoring this series of company. I had a little look around on Facebook and the local ladies in the Hay branch seem to be a really active bunch, which is such a wonderful thing to see. My Sunday newsletter, Company on Sundays, is under construction as we speak and I have promised myself and you to only include cosy things this Sunday, with a few exceptions. But so far, there's Margaret Atwood's writing routine, a handful of new podcasts, we meet a cake maker, uh, and there is more and more and more. This newsletter is really designed to be read in bed on a Sunday morning, even better if you've got a cup of tea or coffee wrapped around your hands. So sign up before Sunday at mansonandcompany.com and I will make sure that you can join in on this Sunday morning ritual too. I'll be back with you next week, but until then, take care.